This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey gang, it's Dr. Z. Welcome to the show. It's March 10th, 2023, and I just did a YouTube live that I called Friday Zen, uh, where I take questions and we talk about all the things. Uh, and it was pretty good. So I actually thought, hey, let's share it here on the podcast. And here's what we talked about before we launch into the recording of the live from today. Um, and it was mostly in response to questions. So vaccines and the nature of belief we touched on. Public health messaging challenges, that's a deep one. Uh, we talked about moral foundation theory. In other words, the different moral taste buds people have and how it influences how they feel about vaccines and masks and things like that. And then we got into dealing with anger and boundary violations, uh, dropping into the body sense and out of the head and the thought space, emotional repression and the make-believe world of thought we think we can hide from emotion in, the nature of kundalini energy and what that is, the nature of negativity bias in humans and how we might shift to focusing on the positive things, TRE or trauma release exercises, the body as a big sensor shame and its roots, particularly in medicine, self-inquiry, uh, the natural um, nature of ego and its trickiness, the nature of mind identification and the house of mirrors of thought that generate this mind identification, empaths and sensitivity to other people's emotions and how to handle that, especially in artists, addicts, etc. cetera. Um, the excess death question came up, uh, excess death in European, European countries. Guilt around setting boundaries, uh, the nature of letting go to the current experience and dealing with fear, among other things. So without further ado, here is the show. Welcome everyone. Zubin, Dr. Z, whatever. Identity's a construct. <laughs> Come on down. Not sure I'm gonna put this one up on my podcast unless we get into some good stuff, which I hope we do. I'm really trying to talk about awakening realization today, but whatever, we'll talk about anything you like. I'm gonna really pleasant, calm state of mind, which means we're gonna go off the rails. Uh, come on down. I've got your comments up here on YouTube. For people who want to do, we've started doing these Zoom meetups um, for supporters. So the people who pay five bucks a month in our uh, YouTube group, Facebook group, and locals group. And I put a link in the description for YouTube to join any of those groups. Um, we're gonna try to do it about once every week or so. We get together by Zoom and we have these sort of meetups talking about meditation, presence, awakening, those kind of things. And they're really powerful because you're getting a group of like-minded people together to kind of hang out. And that's just one aspect of what we do in the supporter groups. We also do live shows like this very often. But today I wanted to go to everybody. Let's read some comments. Um, Are you still for the shots, says Muggsy B. 
Give me a break. Uh, that'll really, that'll break your zen real fast. <laughs> still for the shots. What does that even mean? Like people are so obsessed still. Like COVID is over guys. Like as far as a national emergency, as far as the popular culture even, it's over. Just let it go like every experience, let it go. Go on to the next thing that's right here, right now. Do you see a needle right now threatening you? Probably not. So why do you wanna cogitate on it more, right? You've made, you have your beliefs, all beliefs are untrue at the deepest level. They're all just thought stuff, right? So rest in that not knowing that knows, like just this, that's all there is. Um, but yeah, I'm still sh for the jab. What does, that, what does that even mean? For who? Are we talking about adults? Are we talking about kids? Are we talking about people who've had COVID, people who haven't had COVID? Are we talking about people who've had two shots, three shots, four shots? Like people seem to think there's a black and white truth. I actually think this is less, this is starting to relax in the culture. People are starting to see that everything is a continuum of truth. There is no uh, actual truth. It's all kind of this, wave continuum that's happening and changing and totally impermanent. So having that understanding of nuance is important. Now, do public health officials have that understanding of nuance? No. Do anti-vax sort of cult members have this understanding of nuance? No. Does uh, the average Joe maybe out in the world have a sense that everything is nuanced? I think more so, yes. So stop listening to the extremes so much. Let's not allow our thought, our consciousness to be captured by the extremes because they're the loudest and because they're the most heavily rewarded in places like social media. It's very hard to have a nuanced position and do well on social media. Have you noticed I am hardly online much anymore because I'm only gonna show up when I have something to say and it's not gonna be something so polarizing that it's gonna show up in your feed. You see that? Isn't that interesting? But I think even that is changing because people are feeling this sort of vibe of, hey, let's like kind of attracts like and people with rationality who are sensible, but who also can understand there's something beyond rationality. There's a deep knowing beyond rationality. That's also true. They tend to aggregate here. Um, let's see, Jesse says, are restaurant and bar owners and college kids bad people in general, like these experts made them out to be during COVID? I mean, you know the answer to that, Jesse, right? I'm glad you're pointing that way. This feeling that there are these, these transmission vectors, not humans, they're transmission vectors and they should be shamed into not transmitting. And the way you do that is you force them to get like, two shots and a booster, even when they've had COVID and they have immunity, which we ignored in public health. My friend, Marty McCary talks about this a lot. It, it just really bad messaging. And I think people with common sense understood that during the pandemic. And by the way, I say during the pandemic because it's over, all right? As far as something that we need to continue to masturbate over, the pandemic for those intents and purposes is over. Now, what's not over is the public health potential overreach and the incorrect overreaction to the public health overreach, which is, oh, well, I'm, not, I'm just not gonna get my kids vaccinated. Like that's just, that, that does not follow from anything that happened, 
right? That's a pure emotional reaction to the overreach and the stupidity of a lot of public health messaging. Just the, the lack of common sense and the lack of understanding how humans actually work. It's almost like, it's almost like they took a kind of a robot's AI understanding of how a human ought to work and tried to manipulate it by saying, ah, you know what, whether you've had COVID or not, we want you to get vaccinated. We're gonna mandate it in certain circumstances, like in healthcare, whether or not you've had COVID, which goes against any sort of immunology and any common sense. And now we'll back into some bogus data that says maybe the vaccine's better than natural immunity. Well, no. Maybe getting having natural immunity and getting vaccinated is better. Okay, maybe a little bit, who cares? You already are largely immune against severe disease, which is what you care about. None of that immunity, natural or vaccine, is gonna prevent you from getting reinfected or from transmitting. So what are we doing? So this idea that then we've taken this very left brain approach in public health to not seeing the context of what we were messaging and instead just taking it out of context and saying, well, no, the only way we're gonna get people to behave is by being absolutists on whatever level. Uh, it's kind of nutty. It didn't work so well. So that's my thinking on that. Um, let's see here. Agreed uh, government overreach, says Trevor, here in British Columbia, we still have nurses and healthcare workers still not allowed back to work because, and they have a shortage of workers. I know, it's dumb. And you gotta respect, you gotta understand that everybody has a different moral sensibility, a different set of moral taste buds that determine whether they want to be mandated to get a vaccine when they've already gotten COVID. Like someone like me, I'm like, look, I don't care because I know the vaccine is generally quite safe, especially for someone in my demographic, it's fine, right? So I don't have a problem getting it. And I like vaccines, I always have, especially because of their long and illustrious history in public health of eradicating disease, reducing childhood illness, all these other things, and reducing cancers with HPV vaccine, reducing really unpleasant, beyond unpleasant, shingles recurrences in elders with the, like something like a Shingrix vaccine. Like those are great. Those are huge innovations along with public, you know, with hygiene and sewers and things like that. That's transformed medicine. The rest of healthcare is mostly crap compared to that, right? It, so we should celebrate those things and I have a predilection to it. Now back to the moral uh, taste bud thing, people who really value uh, liberty versus oppression as a, as a taste bud um, are gonna be less likely to be uh, respond when you mandate a vaccine for them that they kind of can see with common sense is not gonna prevent transmissions and they've already had COVID. So it's like, Okay, it just doesn't make sense. So all you're doing is ruining your credibility and ruining your ability to influence when it does matter, like childhood vaccines or the next pandemic, or um, even getting uh, you know people over 65 to get vaccinated. Like whether or not they've had COVID, it may be not a bad idea, right? Because that's the highest risk demographic and they're extremely low risk for myocarditis from the vaccine, which is the kind of biggest risk that we talk about, which is still not a huge risk. But if you're a teenager and you've had COVID, why, why would you wanna be mandated to get three shots, each of which can have a myocarditis risk? I don't know. It seems like it's not beyond just common sense to solve this, but yet it's beyond our collective common sense to solve this, it seems. 
in our institutions, which are very left hemisphere oriented. They don't see context, they don't see relation, they don't see connection, they just see a problem reduced to its parts and then trying to solve the problem by just individually parting it out reducing it to these little bits like a machine. That's what the left hemisphere is really good at doing. If you read Ian McGilchrist's book, Master and His Emissary or The Matter with Things, he talks about this very eloquently. Um, makes a very good case for this. Mr. Natural, do you ever lose your cool and yell at someone? Is that ever okay? How do you bounce back from it or should you? Oh, what a great question. So this is actually a very good personal question for me because I'm an interesting character when it comes to this. My personality, I think I inherited this from my grandmother, my grandfather, maternal grandfather, and probably my mother a little bit, emotionally volatile, and I am too. So feel the emotion strongly and it comes in and it's gone. Uh, sometimes it sticks because you're stuck in thought and then you're in this kind of loop. Now, what you're pointing at is this kind of volatility of anger and you're, you're manifesting it by actually yelling at someone just letting them have it. So how, what, what is that really when we inquire, what is that? So maybe anger itself is this energetic pattern of emotion, energy and motion, emotion, right? So you feel it somewhere in the body and it can have a trigger in thought even. So there's this rumination that this person has somehow violated my boundary. Anger is often a boundary violation. That's why people get angry about a couple of things. Let's go back to vaccine for a second because I think this ties it all nicely. Anger is a boundary violation emotion. So if you feel like someone's forcing you to get a vaccine when it doesn't make common sense and you're gonna lose your job over it, they've violated your boundaries. They wanna do something to your body without your consent and take away your livelihood if you don't do it. Okay, that's gonna make you mad. You're gonna feel anger as a response to that thought stream off. Because this is all made up, by the way. This world is all made up. It's all just consciousness. <laughs> so, but it feels real in the relative sense. So it triggers this emotion, which is an energy, which is an a ancient sort of human energy and you get angry, right? Now, what if you're um, a 70 year old who um, uh, is, you know, nervous to go out because they have an auto or have an immune deficiency or something else going on and people around them are coughing and wheezing and they won't wear a mask out of courtesy or they uh, won't get vaccinated. And the perception then is that I'm at risk now and my, my, the sanctity of my body is being violated by these unclean people. Like that's a perception, that's another moral filter, right? Well, they're gonna get angry. So this anger is a boundary violation kind of car alarm type of thing. It's evolved, it, it's really quite natural. Now, what do you do with it? is where wisdom can come into play or it can sometimes fail. So for me, I get quite, I get quite volatile, but one of my characteristics is, and this is just being completely transparent because you have to feel into who you are and how you behave in terms of who you are, meaning personality-wise, like who, what's your conditioning? My conditioning is I tend to seek validation in others, whether it's here on YouTube, whether it's on social media, whether it's from a teacher, whether it's from an authority figure, I tend to seek that validation, but I also, there's a part of me that wants to overthrow all of it, that wants to oppose the entire hierarchy of it. So it's this deep contradiction. Like people who are into the Enneagram, I'm a type six. The six is a walking contradiction, um, which is why I love this alt-middle idea, right? It's like, yeah, you can be all those things. So 
that said, I tend to kind of smooth things over with relationships of other with other people and try to make it smooth. But at some point, if things push, then what'll happen is it'll trigger a kind of thought thread where it's like, no, this person's really taking advantage of me, or I can't believe they said this. I cannot believe how unjust this is. I have a very strong justice versus um, sort of cheating, sort of fairness, moral, moral um, taste bud for me. That's a big one. Like if you're a big cheater, like I get upset. So it's just part of how I'm wired in terms of the moral stuff. Cause it's like liberty versus oppression, fairness versus cheating, care versus harm, um, authority versus subversion, sanctity versus degradation. These are kind of the big moral taste buds. For me, that fairness versus cheating is a big one. So it'll it'll trigger these thoughts. Like ugh, then you'll start ruminating on all oh, this person and then they do it again, but I, I don't have the courage to just tell them transparently, like this is what you're doing that's needs to stop. So what'll happen is it'll keep going, it'll keep going, it'll keep going and I'll keep ruminating. And then at some point, it'll just snap because there's only so much, right? And, and the thoughts keep reinforcing the emotion and the emotion has a physical manifestation. And it's so uncomfortable that at some point, something feels like it has to be done. You're not doing any of this. There's no agent there, but it feels like it has to be done. And then you just let that person have it. You just unleash hell on them. I've done it many times and it feels both horrible and great in the moment. Horrible meaning physically, it's like a kind of, you can tell your blood pressure is high. I could measure my blood pressure, it'll be high. Um, but it feels great because you're letting out all this energy that has been just circulating with nowhere to go. And it's being fed by this thought storm of angry thoughts that keep coming up and injustice and all this other stuff. And so <laughs> then you let all this out Clearly the person that you're letting it out on is like, what the hell? Cause it's coming out of nowhere because you've been suppressing it for so long. You've been repressing and avoiding that emotion and jumping into thought to try to avoid it by ruminating more. And all it's doing is like circulating this energy in motion. And then you just let it, let it blaze. Now there are good and bad things here. The, the good thing is you let it out. The bad thing is you did it in a way that is almost the equivalent of a verbal violence, right? Now, hopefully it didn't escalate to physical violence, but the verbal violence is there. Like you're just letting somebody have it. And so how do you feel about it? Well, immediately, very quickly, I start to feel regret, shame, a bunch of other emotions arise because I'm, I shouldn't be doing this, right? Like this is not very wise behavior. And the problem is sometimes, sometimes what you'll notice is with this kind of angry outburst, what you'll notice is that it was effective. In other words, if the energy of that anger was a response to a boundary violation where they're pushing you in some way, pushing your boundaries, not respecting the boundaries because you haven't really set them up, honestly, um, by going off like that, the chances are they're gonna be scared enough that they're not going to, depending on the volatility level, they're, they're, you're gonna have the, the outcome that you wanted from a boundary standpoint. So anger had its role there. You're like, oh, okay, mission accomplished. However, you've damaged a relationship. You've looked like an asshole. You feel internally bad about it because that's not how you wanna behave. And the truth is, if you hadn't repressed the anger in the first place, if you'd actually felt it and noticed what it is, 
and then you were authentic with that person up front and consistently, there never would have gotten to the point where that boundary would have been explosively violated, right? It would have been something where you would have been more honest up front and it never would have escalated. There would have been an authenticity in your communication because you would have spoken spontaneously from the truth of that moment, which is, oh, I'm feeling a little of this, what is this? And then communicating, hey, you know, I don't really don't wanna do that. It's the thing about me is I don't like it when this kind of thing happens. So we can't do that. And that would have happened consistently before it got to a level where you had to let somebody have it. Now, all that being said, you couldn't have done anything differently because you were exactly in that moment doing the thing. And when you had the outburst, you had the outburst. But what it provides an opportunity to do is go, okay, so what is it about me that allowed that to happen? And the truth is, well, I'm avoiding repressing this anger. I'm trying to validate and people please. Whatever it is, whatever it is in your experience that does that. And next time, I'm not gonna allow it to get to that level. I'm gonna be very direct. I'll be kind and compassionate, but I'll be authentically direct. And that comes from practice. It comes from emotion work. It comes from feeling those energies and actually discerning what they are, not necessarily telling big stories about them, but allowing them just as they are. And that allows for a very authentic kind of interaction with other humans. And that's part of the whole realization awakening journey is a journey back to authenticity, to spontaneous action from the present moment, which is all there is, without all the thought rumination that throws us into a projection that doesn't exist. And that ultimately leads to human suffering in the form of, okay, now I've blown up. Or worse, we've gotten violent or something terrible has happened, right? So that's my take on your very good question. Um, whether or not it's useful to you, I don't know. Um, we often don't know our boundaries. O to be wise, K Finn. Well, this is the thing. You're right. We often don't know our boundaries. Why? Is, why might that be? Let's feel into that for a second. Why wouldn't we know what our boundaries are? Because we avoid the body sense. In other words, the body, this sense, and, and, and I'm not talking about this um, mind concept of the body. In other words, oh, this self-contained body wall and head and arms and chest and belly and all that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the sense field of the body, where if you close your eyes and you were like a, newborn baby, you imagine you're a newborn baby, like what is body? They don't know what, they'd have no concept of body. They have no concept of limit or bounding of the body. All they have is the immediate experience, oceanic experience, undifferentiated with no sense of self. That's a newborn baby. So if you close your eyes and you experience the body that way, it's just sense, it's a sense gate. You're just feeling vibration and this and the other thing. And, and I say this and the other thing because it's indescribable. So that body sense, it's a massive source of information for you because it is continuous. It's one thing with the environment. It is part of the environment and it's a big sense organ. So what we do when we don't know our boundaries, say what you were pointing at, Kim, what we're doing is we're repressing or ignoring the body sense that's telling us that our boundaries are being violated. There's a feeling in the chest. There's a feeling in the gut. There's a feeling in the limbs of tension. And we don't drop into that sense. We don't actually operate from the body sense. We operate from here, which is all an effing lie. It's all just thought. It's all made up out of thought stuff. 
And so it doesn't point to anything really, but the body is actually a very good sense. And actually when they work in tandem, when the thoughts actually in the body are, are one, it's mind body, they're all kind of aligned, body mind, much more wisdom happens. So this wisdom of the body is telling you your boundaries are violated, but your thoughts, you're projecting in the thought because that sensation of boundary violation is uncomfortable. We, thought will label it as uncomfortable. It will say good or bad and then off into thought world to try to get away from bad, into la-la land, into make-believe, into imagination, into the matrix of this. The body's right here, it's telling you, nope, meh, 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 and that's just energy. So you can feel it and you can go, okay, hmm, ah. all right, that, okay, something's not, okay. And then out of your mouth comes the next correct thing without the intermediary of all this thought. And it can actually work that way, but you have to, the practices, putting attention, letting attention settle from here in thought and kind of disidentifying it from thought and letting attention settle through the face, through the head, the sensations, the teeth you can feel, the ears, you can feel the sensation, let it drop into the neck. You're feeling the energy of the neck and your throat and you swallow. And then you feel attention drop into the chest this area around the heart, all the warmth and the vibration and the indescribable sensations that are there in the hands and the arms and the elbows, dropping attention down into the, into the belly, the upper belly, when it moves with the breath and the sensation of the breath and the lower belly, down into the hips and the upper legs and the knees, down into the lower legs, the ankles, bottom of the feet, the top of the feet, the tips of the toes, and then right back up. All of that body sense, putting your attention there and operating from the body. When you're next time, try this. This happened to me recently. I was getting upset with somebody. And I noticed that I was up in my head and thoughts were racing. And I said, okay, what's my body doing right now? And I dropped attention into the field of cloud of sensation that's the body. And what do you feel? It's like a massive sense organ. At this point, I was like, ooh, there's anger here, there's boundary violation, there's tension, there's a little fear, actually, I can feel that. Okay, okay, so just sit with that and rest in that and actually don't go jumping into thought and what ends up happening is actually you become much more present. You become much, you become a better listener and sensor for what's actually energetically happening with that other person in the environment. And it just, it ends up relaxing. It ends up actually being more spontaneous. It may, anger may still arise, there may be words said, but it's gonna be less likely to escalate into this repressed rage that then explodes. Um, so that's kind of how I, I think about that. Jeff, Jeff Black, body scan is the best. It really is. If you did nothing else but spend a part of your day scanning through your body sensations, getting really comfortable with that, where attention just, and it creates new grooves in your brain. These sense gates, actually that practice, our brain is still quite plastic, even in older age. Um, you get better and better at it. Like advanced monks can like feel incredibly subtle sensations in the body where normally you wouldn't. Um, it's a powerful practice. Um, Charlotte says, 
As I started to put awareness on awakening, I found myself blowing up at people in ways I never did before uh, for just this reason. Yeah. So something they don't really tell you, some people do, they don't tell you about this whole process of awakening is that you connect to these primal energies and it's no longer possible to hide from them. It's much harder to repress them. They come out and they feel almost crazy because some of them aren't even, it's not even yours. Like you feel all the anger of humanity or all the suffering of children. Or I remember at a retreat um, afterwards, one of the retreat participants who was one of our supporter tribe came up and said, and she was in tears and she, and, but it was beautiful. But she said, I was feeling all of the female suffering in human history was known. It was known. Like, this is what it feels like. And it's, it's not even her suffering, right? Even though she's also female, it was just this collective, like you, because when you really open into what you are, which is this thing, unbounded consciousness, you have access to all of human experience in some way, because it's all made of that. And so, yeah, these very volatile things can come up and it can be very disorienting, which is why if you have a good teacher or you find someone on YouTube, like an Angelo who can point and say, you know, this is normal, don't panic. The key thing is you wanna make sure that things are safe when this stuff happens and you should understand that you're actually safe, that you have an infinite capacity to feel anything that's ever been felt. You have the capacity, the right to feel that. It's not even you choosing that these things are arising, they're just arising. So feel everything, even the resistance to feeling, feel that. If you did nothing else but feel everything as it arose in this moment, that is enlightenment. <laughs> That's what Dogen, the Zen, uh, old school Zen master called practice hyphen enlightenment. It's one thing, it's one thing, it's just this. Oh my gosh, Mr. Natural sent me 50 bucks on Super Chat. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Natural. That was really naturally awesome. <laughs> I love it. I really deeply appreciate that. Um, and everyone who supports our show, because like I said, I, do, I don't go around hustling for views. I don't, and, you know, and I might've done that back in the day, unconsciously even. Like, oh, I know if I do a video on freaking masks, I'm gonna get 100,000 views and it's gonna generate this much ad revenue and this and this and this and this and this and this. That's called audience capture. It's internalized capitalism that happens when you're on social media. It's one of the pitfalls. And it's taken me a minute, but I don't wanna play that game anymore, which means, you know, I'm broke. <laughs> uh, not quite. Mr. Natural, thank you. Um, Ashley Stewart, I've been experiencing so much of what I think is Kundalini energy lately. It's so strange and definitely overwhelming at times. I just dive into those moments. Oh yeah. So this, it, you know, Kundalini is just a fancy like old school word for these kind of energetic sensations that can arise in the body. They can happen without meditation, but as you go down this process for many people, myself included, um, it's a common part of the process. So sometimes I'll just be sitting and I'll hear uh, like a piece of music or something and it'll just like, like electric shocks through the spine or uh, a twitching and energetic on in my right arm or a whole body like, like this, like kind of like you, you, in your dream when you kind of fall a little, it feels like that sometimes. So it feels different for everybody. But I've had Kundalini experiences on retreat where it's like all the suffering of humanity is coming up through the body and shooting through the chest. 
and it feels like just pure energetics. And that's also a kind of Kundalini um, experience or heart opening experience too. So there's all different varieties, but listen, listen, in the end, none of that shit matters. Like this is all just mind stuff. It's all just labeling off what is. It's just labeling off the experience. Just surrender to the experience like Ashley's doing. She's like, man, the Kundalini comes up and just, there it is. That's it. You don't have to make anything of it. Just dive into it. Just experience it fully. And if you're resisting it or you're telling stories about it, experience that. Like experiencing that, experience that knowingly. Like feel into what it is in you that is resisting and then feel into that resistance. What's the quality of that resistance? It's a kind of a friction and it exists in thought. It exists only in thought. When you see it and go, that's just another thought. That doubt about this process is another thought. The resistance to what is can only exist in thought because you can't resist what is. In other words, your true nature can't resist anything because it's everything. What's to resist? Itself? Can't happen. But a thought will arise going, I can't handle this. Or this Kundalini shit is weird. And then what happens is there's this sense of resistance which can manifest in the body as a kind of energy. And it's a bunch of thoughts. That's it. Eugene, thank you for the support. Been a pure joy evolving together with you, Z-Dog. That makes me so happy. Those kind of comments just... You know, you know what's weird? I got to say this. This is kind of crazy. So it used to be like humans have a negativity bias. They tend to focus. And this is, you know, this is the thing. I got to say this too. Let's not be hard on our humanness, on our minds, on our thought-based identities. Let's not be hard on our conditioning. Our, all our conditioning is there to keep us safe. That's how it evolved. It's like this wonderful gift that sometimes doesn't know its own boundaries and generates suffering, right? But part of that conditioning in humans is a negativity bias. In other words, we tend to ignore and discount positive feedback like what Eugene just gave, and we tend to focus on the negative. Now, why, why might the human mind do that? Well, because it's a survival advantage. Like basking in joy all day and the pot, like that I got food. Oh, so grateful, so wonderful. I'm just gonna bask in this joy. That's not necessarily a survival advantage. The survival advantage is, okay, I got food. What's next? Where's the threat? When's the next meal coming? And the same goes with if you're on social media. Like the mind is conditioned to go, oh yeah, there's a negative comment. Oh, it's ruining my day. What can I do differently? How can I get... How can I get back at this person? Well, you know, how, well, these are all the reasons they're wrong, anger, and you feel it in the body and so on. So that's the, the negativity filter. So it can be like a million positive comments and then one negative and it's ruined. Everything's done. Anybody who's on social media knows this. All right, but what's happened recently in the, during this whole unfolding process for me is that it's these positive comments that just light me up with joy and I linger on those and the negative ones I'm able to just let go. And that, I can't tell you how transformative that is for human suffering. Like instead of sitting here cogitating on what someone said on Twitter about me, I don't care, that's all, I let it go. And then when someone says something nice, I'm just filled with the joy of connection. Like I was able to connect with this person, like across infinite time and space here, as far as I know, 
there's another human who feels connected on the wavelength that we've been transmitting. It's just glorious. And I know I'm not going to die. I know it's not an evolutionary risk to feel that way now. Right? Like I, all my conditioning of millions of years of evolution, you can actually see it. You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't discount it. You don't resist it. You don't hate it. You just go there. Oh, there it is. Like you see the negative comment and you go, why that little? And you're like, oh, look at that. Of course, trying to keep me safe. Let it go. Oh, Eugen sent me money and says pure joy evolving together with you, Z-Dog. That's just pure moral elevation. You just feel like love beams coming off. It's beautiful. Um, Brittany says, I hope you can do another episode with Paul. I do love your shows. Paul Offit, yes, I will do that because he's just a wonderful source of wisdom on all things vaccine and public health. Um, Barbara Wheeler, I finally tried TRE twice and didn't feel anything. Must be really gummed up in there. So TRE is these trauma release exercises. Google or uh, look on YouTube, search TRE, and you'll see instructions on how to do that. Angelo introduced that to me, as did Chris, who's a good friend of his, who's been on his show. She's a highly realized being, and she teaches TRE. It's a um, it's a process where you kind of fatigue your muscles and then let them just tremor. And I'm simplifying it. And that is actually a process that's been noticed in children when they're under stress, like in war zones and so on, kids will just tremble like this. Whereas the adults have learned to suppress it to avoid frightening the children. And what they find is that that's how we, the body, the wisdom of the body we were talking about earlier, that's how the body processes trauma to some degree is it's just an energetic thing. It just trembles. But as adults, we've learned to suppress that trembling. So what ends up happening? We've learned to suppress our bodies. We're like, it's like we're at war with who we are. Like we have this wonderfully beautiful sense organ, the body that, that is so tuned into the environment. And yet like animals, do you think animals are at war with their body? No way. Watch a cat, watch a dog. They are seamless with the environment. It's one thing. They don't have the thought capacity to be at war with themselves, to resist their bodies, right? So TRE is, is a way of bringing that back to say, okay, you've had trauma. Even if you haven't, you're holding stress, whatever it is, here's how you can teach the body again to trust its own thing and allow it to tremble. And I've done this and it, it is, so it's not a magic thing. In other words, that, that night after you've done your first uh, thing or your second thing, you're not like, oh God, I'm, I'm healed from whatever. First of all, you know, even the idea of healing is a thought, but do it consistently and watch what will happen. It's really quite remarkable. You'll feel these openings that you don't quite understand. You'll feel a kind of relaxation that you didn't know you were tense. And the other thing that seems to happen is that like I'll be meditating or something, or I'll have a day where there's some stress. I'll just feel compelled to lay on a yoga mat and just the trembling will just start. It, it, you don't even have to do the exercises. You'll just start noticing like a part of the body will, will spontaneously move. And you wanna do this in like a safe space without people looking at you because you'll feel self-conscious because shit's just moving. <laughs> and, and, and it's really powerful. So it's worth checking out. Definitely worth checking out. Hey, DVD, um, talking to Barbara, says, yeah, about this. My first time was pretty subtle but was told to keep putting your legs together to encourage the tremors uh, and uh, also just feeling okay about it and encouraging them mentally and physically helped. Yeah, so it's a surrender process. It's also putting attention in the body. 
So it's, so it's, it's a few things that we're not used to doing. Surrendering to the body, to something that feels a little crazy. By the way, it's not uncomfortable. It's like actually really cool. It feels really cool when you really surrender to it. It's like, wow, my legs are just doing this. And you're on your back and you know, the knees are a little bit, you're, you know, you can raise the legs, you can bring them together. There's different techniques which you can read about or see, watch the videos on. Um, hi, Belgium, Martina, how are you? Uh, Tag Moniker says, I evaluate myself frequently. I'm always surprised at how tense I am, right? It's crazy. Like when I'm doing a live show like this, like I, if I feel into the body, which I do often now, like I can feel where I'm holding excitement or tension. Now it feels more, I, I frame it more as excitement because like for me, it's here and in the legs, like it's like a, uh, an energetic um, kind of wanting to jump out of your skin a little bit and just jump through the lens and give you a big hug. Like it feels like that. Um, it's an energetic. And then sometimes it's, it's anger and you can feel it. And so it is really feeling into the body. The body is just this infinite source of wisdom. You see where that tension is and you become more savvy at feeling it and discerning it as opposed to just, oh, there's just something vague there I can't quite get my handle on. And the more you feel into it, the more it clarifies. Martin Young, Doc Martin from South uh, Africa. Negativity, unfortunately, far harder than positivity uh, because most of us tend to believe the worst about us and what we do, all part of intrusive thought process. Well, so I think you pointed at something as a doctor too, like we, we're really good at this. Shame is like a massive component of our physiology because I think many people in medicine in particular, and I did a show about this with Dr. Emily Silverman from the podcast, The Nocturnist, on shame. She did a series on shame in medicine. And the thing about shame is it's there's some, there's some basal deep belief that's a series of thoughts and feeling sense that started when we were very young, that we're somehow not enough, we're somehow broken, we're somehow deeply flawed. And if anyone looked, including us, if we looked in this spot in us, we would find our own ruin because we're so fundamentally broken. And so I think the projection, the, the way we deal with that deep belief that's hidden often, it's hidden. We, it's not out in consciousness. If it were, we'd be like, what the hell is that? How the hell do I, th why do I think I'm so broken? I should investigate that. We don't do that. Instead, it's like, don't look here, don't look here. So it's hidden. So what happens early, even in childhood, you're a good boy, you're a bad boy, you're a good girl, you're a bad girl. Like it starts getting ingrained in us. And then, we have this deep thing we need to protect. And the way we protect it is we project out in the world the opposite. So no, 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 I'm super competent. I'm saving lives. I'm out in the world. I'm doing these things. You become a doctor. You become a nurse. You become a respiratory therapist. You become a dietitian. You become uh, you know, a um, social worker. You become a case manager. You become a nurse. All the other things you can do to project away from the sense that you're deeply broken and somehow prove that it's not true. And it's all a lie, <laughs> like it's all a lie. I'm telling you now, none of this is true, but it sure feels true. And then what it does, it generates this pattern of emotion and behavior that feel like we, we call it shame, repressed, repressed shame then manifests as all kinds of projected bullshit. You see it in surgeons who refuse to stop operating even though they're like injuring people because they're doing too many cases or whatever it is, right? It, it just, it becomes manifest in the world as, true dysfunction and suffering. And all you need to do is actually feel into seeing it. And so what Doc Martin, I think, is pointing out is that 
because that's simmering under the surface as an operating system be level belief, like it's the operating system of how humans actually work is like, oh no, but I'm broken. <laughs> like at the fundamental core level, I'm absolutely broken. And if anyone saw it, I'd be ruined. So I gotta do everything I can not let people see it. So what happens when someone leaves you a bad comment or a bad review on Yelp, if you're a doctor or something or on health grades or one of these things? Oh my God, like this person can see right into the spot that you're not supposed to look because they're right. I am totally terrible. I'm totally broken. I'm totally flawed. So what do I do? I can't look there. I can't see there. Oh, this is all unconscious, by the way. No, fuck you. Like go off, project, ruminate on it, feel terrible, but don't know why. All this stuff, it's all shame. Yeah. It's a sense that we're somehow not enough. <laughs> well, I, I have the good news for you. When you actually realize, I don't mean thought stuff, I don't, none of that. When you realize, when you actually know instinctively at the deepest level of your being what you actually are and are not, what is behind shame is indescribable, infinite, unconditional love. And the thing that you feared to look at, this sense of brokenness, is actually far from anything broken. And you're absolutely divinely perfect in this moment, right here, right now. Even in the relative world of imperfection and duality, all of that is actually unfolding absolutely perfectly. And when that's realized, the way that you perceive the relative world transforms. But how do you do that? Well, <laughs> you gotta look at shame. You gotta feel shame. You gotta look at all the places that your conditioning tells you you should never look. Joseph Campbell said this in his Hero's Journey talks with Bill Moyer, I think. The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. That's it. It's absolute, absolutely an amazing pointer. I was gonna say it's absolute truth, but there is, that's, in the relative world, there is no absolute truth, but there's an absolute reality and you can experience it as it. It's right here, right now. Don't look away, don't jump into thought. Don't believe anything you've ever learned about yourself, your birth, your pending death, your story, your spouse, your partner, none of it. What are you right now? What's experiencing this moment right now? Look there and don't look away. It's beyond the mind. Anything you can think about it is a thought, let it go. What are you? What's looking? And can what's looking be broken? Can what's looking be shameful? right? This can go off the rails pretty fast. Um, Tina says, my husband is a surgeon and there's a competitor in town who does what you are saying. Um, he does surgeries and my husband has to fix them. The guy's name is Dr. Slaughter, no joke. Uh, I hope that's not really his name because 
I'm going to refuse to libel anybody, <laughs> but I will say this, this pattern is a function of repressed truth. And in many cases, the surgeon, you know, and again, this is not just surgeons, this is doctors, this is everybody, everybody is actually trying to live up to some ideal they've imagined, but in reality, they want to do something completely differently, but different. They want to do something different and they don't even want to be a surgeon. They want to do something else or they always wanted to be a surgeon, but they feel into it and they go, well, I don't have the technical ability. So I'm going to prove that I do. Whatever it is, it's all, it's unconscious stuff. So you have to look in the difficult places. Ann Brown says, I notice suffering and ego and others so clearly now, and I also allow it to be. Yeah, that's perfect. Just a, It's just what it is. And the tricky thing is, Noticing suffering and ego in others means you better notice suffering and ego in yourself. Because it's easy to do a kind of spiritual bypass where we go, ah, I'm good. Look at everybody else's suffering and ego, man. Jews. But you usually know when that's happening because it's a projection, right? The spiritual ego can happen. It's like the ego can, don't, don't, don't underestimate the ego. It'll co-opt anything. It'll co-opt awakening. So you have this big realization that you're kind of this infinite awareness, this level one kind of awakening. And then the ego can come back and be like, look at me, I'm so awake. I, 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 me, 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 me and them, me and them. This is the path. This is the way, as the Mandalorian would say. And uh, ultimately you realize, oh, even that's just ego. Even that's just the process of meing as opposed to being which is the other foot of just this, just this. Rick Reynolds, if we're awake, what the F is broken? Yeah, well, this is the thing. Like if you talk to people who are very highly realized, they're like, I don't see awake and asleep. I just see this. Those distinctions don't make sense anymore. I just see this. Just this. Imagine. Don't imagine because that's a thought. I still have trouble how to point to this, even for myself. What if you allowed in this moment Every single experience, including thought, to be exactly as it is. No pushing and pulling, just this. Seeing, hearing, thinking, sensation, just as it is. Only now. What's that like? Is that how it is always? Is it always just this? And everything else is just thought, which is also just now, only now. That's it.
Yeah, Papa Goose. Alan Watts said it best. Losing your ego is the biggest ego trip going. Exactly. My friend Angela says, when you go to war with the ego, it's the ego going to war with the ego. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's pretty much it. And the ego is not a thing. It's just a process. It's a, it's a verb. It's egoing. It's like, it's a process of creating a, a sense. It's a process of thought going to thought that creates a house of mirrors of reflective consciousness that seems like there's a separate self seeing a world that needs to protect itself. It's all appearance. It's all a elaborate hologram of appearance that can be seen for what it is. The difficulty is when you're seeing experience through the lens of that reflection, that sense of me, that process of meing, then it's very hard to see clearly because you're seeing through the lens of thought. Um, it's very hard to talk about because it's more thought stuff when you start talking. But that's really the human condition is this Attention trapped in the house of mirrors of thought, spinning up a world that's apparently full of separate objects and separate people and me and them. And that egoing is to, is to continue to use energy to create and sustain that house of mirrors. And when by grace or by intent or by willingness or by surrender or by suffering or by whatever, that pattern, that constellation, confirmation of mirrored consciousness relaxes and it is seen what's actually here always and already, that's, that's kind of awakening. And then the house of mirrors can come back, but you've seen, <laughs> you, you, you've seen reality. You know what you are but you can fool yourself and climb back in the VR and put the goggles back on and just kind of be back in the world. And that is the kind of post-awakening journey. That's when you have to work on feeling everything, being very open to dissolving these conditionings and fixations that keep us coming back to the VR world of thought. That's kind of actually a long and hard, can be a long and hard journey. It can also be really steep for some people. And then it can be disorienting when suddenly the self is just gone. <laughs> and there's, wait, there's, there's no, no leg to stand on. There's no vantage point, no perspective. There's just everything happening to no one, for no one, and self-knowing phenomena. That's reality. But we don't need to talk about that because it's happening right now to you and you just don't know it.
This is just it. This is just how it is. Um, <laughs> Brittany says, I pick up on people's feelings easily and some people close to me are stressful. I don't know how to handle that. So you're, Brittany, you're like, it's often like people who end up becoming artists, becoming addicts, ending up very successful on a spiritual journey. They tend to be very sensitive because remember earlier, I mentioned the body is a big sense, like everything's a big sense organ. And some people are just born with that attunement. They're just attuned to that sense organ. And I realize, you know, I'm just kind of feeling into this myself. Like when I was young, I was so sensitive to other people's emotions. Like parents would fight, it was like the end of the world. Like you could feel it in the body because you could feel all the energy. People are tense, you could feel it. Like it's not just a thought, it's like there's something going on in the body where everything is tense, right? And when people are stressed, you can feel it in the body. And I think what happened with, with many people and with me, with certain artists, with people who turn to substances, which I never really did, um, but it's easy to see how that could happen for, to very sensitive people. They numb, they have to numb that because they're feeling everybody's pain all the time. Uh, what I realized is, oh, that can be repressed. Like you can actually, you can avoid that by jumping into thought or you can avoid that by imagining a different situation where you're not there. Or you can avoid that by, if the feeling arises, just jumping into another thought so you, you don't feel it, kind of emotional repression avoidance. And that's how you can then survive. So then you know you can use rational thought to try to avoid feeling everybody's pain because you're off in a la-la land, but it's still there. It's still generating friction. And now all it's doing is generating a ton of thoughts where you're now stuck in la-la land. You're stuck in the matrix. So what does awakening do? <laughs> what does awakening do? You realize instinctively, knowingly, at the deepest level of your being, that there is no, like thought is not an escape from anything because it's not real in the sense that it doesn't point to anything but itself. It's just a ghost appearing in an, it's self-knowing, what you are, that substance of consciousness is what thought is. There's no thinker. So where are you gonna escape to? There's no you to escape. So what happens now when you feel somebody's pain? It's right there and there's nowhere to go. So what can you do? You can stress and resist it. But I'll tell you, there's nowhere to go. You go into thought, you're not going anywhere. It's just thought. But what happens if you just allow it? What if you just realize, yeah, the environment right now is stressed, stressed, whatever that means. So you feel it in the body. Okay, it's not a problem. It's not a problem at all. It's just what is. And in fact, what may come out of your mouth next is something that may, by its own natural wisdom, the deeper wisdom beyond mind, may actually be the thing that reduces the level of discomfort in the environment for the person that you're engaging with. And so it is, it can be very hard. Like after a retreat, I'll come home and I'll feel everybody's emotion. And it can be very disconcerting, especially since we're conditioned with family to try to avoid that. Um, but it's part of the journey and just a degree of discernment, like seeing when that's happening, 
realizing that question of I don't know how to handle it is another thought that's generating a kind of a separation. There's a me and this emotion that I'm feeling and I don't know how to handle it. That's great, that's all thought. So there's just the emotion, there's just the situation, that's it. And you'll realize there's no problem there when you really surrender to that. But it takes doing, it takes a willingness to do that because there's nobody doing it. It takes a willingness, a surrender. Sammy says, uh, I get that it's important to, to be Zen and not trying to judge a situation. However, what do you think about all these excess deaths? The same percentage seems, uh, the percentage seems so high in most countries and no one is talking about it. So um, I wanna point to something that you're saying, which is, you know, it's, okay, it's good to be Zen and all that and not try to judge a situation. That's not true. That's a thought. Judging occurs. Analysis of the world's events occurs. There's nothing wrong with it. It's when we make it a problem, then there's something wrong with it. When we get identified with it and it generates suffering, there's something wrong with it. Um, that's, where, that's where it's an issue. Now, I could easily avoid this question by continuing to talk about that, but I will say this, like, look at excess death data. It's very difficult to determine cause of excess death. You have to look carefully at the source of the data and what's going on, and there's often multiple interpretations of excess death. What you're reading online is probably one skewed interpretation of excess death. You could read another skewed interpretation of excess death. So people will say, oh no, the excess deaths are the vaccine. Others will say the excess deaths are COVID. The other will say it's excess death is response to COVID, like alcoholism, substance abuse, suicide, um, missed screenings for cancers, mental health problems causing hypertension and coronary disease. So more uh, CHF from COVID or from the mental stress of dealing with the response to COVID. Um, all that could be true, we don't know. We don't have enough data to say. And I don't think uh, nobody's talking about it. If you look at my comment section, there's always somebody talking about it. Um, <laughs> thrombos hemorrhoid, Rick Reynolds. Um, Brittany says, some people are bad about having boundaries too. Yeah, totally, so what do you do? When you're wide open and you're an empath and you're feeling everybody's stuff, you will naturally and intuitively, when you surrender to what that is, you'll intuitively know how to set up your own boundaries. So it doesn't matter what their boundaries are because there's no them, there's just this. So it's like, okay, if it's feeling like there's some boundary violation, you're gonna feel anger, you're gonna feel that energy and you're gonna do something, whether it's telling them, hopefully in a compassionate way or leaving the situation or actually directing all your attention to them so that what they need is, what they think they need is, is somehow um, satisfied. It'll just happen. You don't need to, you definitely need to, don't need to overthink it. Um, Conscious AI says, this has nothing to do with anything, but we had an L&D department send two placentas to pathology in acetone yesterday. Uh, if anyone needs a silly little laugh. So um, I have no idea what acetone does to a placenta and I'm not a pathologist, so I don't know if I'd laugh at that because I don't get the joke. <laughs> I know there's something there. Um, acetone, yeah. Placentas are uh, interesting. People eat them, they bury them, they do all kinds of interesting stuff. Um, conscious AI again, uh, do you think, oh, sorry, do you have advice for people who battle with guilt in boundary setting, like getting over the this feels selfish um, hill 
What a great question. Because that's me, actually. So this is a great question. I think, what, let me rephrase it. You're saying people who, when you set a boundary, then you feel guilty. You're like, oh, now I feel selfish. I, I should be helping this person. They're calling out for help and I'm setting a boundary. And this happened recently, you know, this happened to me recently where I had to, we had to set boundaries. Me and my wife had to set boundaries with some other people. Like, this is not okay what you're doing. And it felt, I was actually struggling with it because it felt selfish. Um, it was like, well, why? Well, here's the thing. So what you have to, it, it, you don't have to do anything. What helps is feeling into what is really true for you authentically. What is the boundary? Why is it important energetically for you? Because there can be big drains on your energy that are not okay from a standpoint of, you know, if you were a cat that acts purely on authentic instinct, your cat's not gonna go into this place where its energy is getting sapped. It's gonna go where it can rub on someone and get some food and do all that. And you're no different. So what is it in your body or in your mind or whatever that's telling you this boundary is not okay to violate? And once you feel into that, you realize, well, then this is just how it is. So it's not a question of selfish or not. It would be selfish to try to override what's going on here, the truth of this, because it would create a self that's trying to cling to some ability to alter what is, and it can't. So in a way, it's seeing that clearly and then just allowing, allowing, just really surrendering to what that is. Uh, and, and sure, hey, if the feeling of I'm being selfish arises, then there you go. It's a thought or it's a sensation. Fine, let it be. Let it be. Give it, give it your attention. That's fine. Don't identify with it. Don't identify with the belief, I am selfish. Look at the thought, I am selfish. It's like something someone wrote on a piece of paper and it's floating through your awareness. That's all a thought is. doesn't mean anything. It's just a piece of paper with some writing on it or an image on it or a concept on it. That's what thought is. And the paper is made out of consciousness and it's self-knowing. There's not even someone who's reading the paper. The paper is self-reading. It's made of the knowing of it. That's the deepest paradox. And yet the deepest, one of the deepest truths is that all phenomenon, there's just seeing. There's no seer. There's no object seen. There's just seeing. That's it. Meow Mix? Okay, first of all, Meow Mix, your name is awesome. Second of all, you sent me another 50 bucks. And I gotta say, I'm so deeply grateful. Remember earlier in this uh, live, I said, it's easy to focus on negative and that's how the human brain is wired. But once you get good at it, you'll start focusing on positive and you're just filling me with joy. Because if you're willing to give me that much super chat, clearly we've connected in some way and that's so beautiful. And I love your little emoji that's hugging the little little kitty cat. Oh, it's so cute. I love it. And I like your avatar. It's a cat. Meow, 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 mix. Tracy, what about the empath that finally gets the gumption to set boundaries and then the people blame me for setting the boundary. This happened three years ago and I can't get over it. Oh man, there's so much here, Tracy. Okay, a couple things. You're an empath who set a boundary three years ago and you got blamed for setting the boundary and you're still thinking about it three years later. 
So it went from you are the empath feeling people's stuff and you set a boundary. The people then were mad at you or expressed anger or whatever it is, frustration. Now what has happened is their problem that they've make, made a problem in their mind, you through thought are making a problem for yourself. So much so that three years later, it's still a problem. All problems exist in thought. And they can be real in a relative sense, like the problem of a car barreling towards you and you're on the road. You need to get off the road. So do you need thought to make that into a problem? Or is that a natural energetic process where car is coming, jump out of the road? Now with this, car was coming, boundary violation, you jumped out of the road, but then the thought world inter intervened. They said some things, you cogitated on them, you ruminated on them. Three years later, you're still thinking about it. Thinking, thinking about it. And then, by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. That's what humans do. That is exactly what we do. And that is the root of suffering. There's a, there's a saying in, there's a Zen parable. I might be butchering it, but it goes like this. The Zen master and his monk, they're walking on a road in ancient China. And a rich woman is uh, at a, they're at a puddle and there's a rich woman in her nice clothes standing at the puddle and she rudely and angrily tells the monks and the Zen master, you like worthless scum need to pick me up and carry me across this puddle because I, the likes of me can't get dirty and you're just a couple of scumbags and you should just do this now. And so the monk's looking at the master and he's like, this is like pure ego. Like, you know, why, why, why should I uh, give in to this? This is no good. And the monk, I mean, the, the master simply picks up the woman, hoists her up, gown and everything, walks through the puddle, gets all muddy, puts her down. She doesn't thank him and she goes on her way. And then they walk on for another few miles, maybe 10 miles. And at that point, the monk turns to the master and says, master, back there 10 miles ago, where that woman, that rich woman treated you so poorly and yet you carried her over the puddle and got all dirty. You know, why did you do that? That seemed like she was just pure ego and everything we're trying to transcend. And he said, monk, um, I put that woman down 10 miles ago. Why are you still carrying her? That's what we do in thought. We create suffering and problems where in reality, there's nothing here. There's nothing here. There's just action. There's just this, just experience. It's a pure act of surrender to allow what is and act from a deeper wisdom. Thought can be useful for planning and things like that when it's needed, but you plan now. You plan in this moment. There's no future right now. Planning just happens. Amen, says Tracy. Melissa says, this is where I am now. Abusive childhood and marriage was too awake and to toxicity and am fourth stage chronic kidney disease with a history of multiple sepsis. Ooh. 
in order to protect and heal, forced to cut ties, blamed for the boundaries. Yeah, you did the right thing. Intuitively for you, they can blame all they want. It's all just thought. Thought, 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 thought. That's all story. They don't even exist. Neither do you <laughs> in the sense you think. It's just this moment. This idea that there are separate beings that can blame us or not blame us and that there's an us they can blame, that's all thought. That's wonderful as far as it goes until it's not. I hope you do okay, by the way. Mr. Natural, probably if the placenta weren't in acetone too long, maybe you could still get okay morphology. If they were in it too long, I think the tissue might dry up. Never actually had it happen though. Okay, so it's a theoretical problem in pathology. I love it, dude. I like to get into some of that science. Um, Papa Goose, those Zen stories are so good. They really are, and they're ancient. They're such good stories. I love you too, Jimmy C. Um, Rick Reynolds, our culture cherishes outrage. The most outrage wins. Yeah. In the, but, but you know, Rick, there's a shift. Do you feel it though? Something's happening. I've been saying this for a few months now. But something's happening. There is a shift. People are fed up with this. Like even if you look at like the kind of comments in here that are like, hey, let's talk about, you know, the vaccine and that, 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 outrage. It's kind of like, yeah, whatever. People want to just move on to what matters. And it's a, it's a vibe shift, really. It's a, it's a shift in feeling about it less thinking about it, less explicit, more right hemisphere. Well, what's the context for all this? What's going on? What's the next thing? Where do I want to be? What, how do I want to feel in life? I, I, do I want to be outraged all the time and up in my head or here present in the body, in the space, in the environment with others or alone? Makes no difference ultimately as long as you surrender to exactly that. Okay, I, boy, we've been going for an hour and 10 minutes. I don't even know. Time is an illusion, friends. <laughs> um, yeah, I hope this was okay for you guys. I might put it out on a podcast. I don't know. I'll ask Risa, my uh, ops partner on all this, uh, if it's a good idea. Um, you guys tell me, do you think something like this would be good in audio only for their audio podcast? Um, yeah, people are exhausted from the fighting DVD. You're right. Peach Belabal says, how do I tell my toxic boss I'm quitting? I'm scared. Oh, that's easy. You can feel scared. You can feel that energy of fear and you walk up and say, I'm quitting and then walk away. Act spontaneously. Make sure you're safe. Obviously, if you're physically scared, you may want to address that. But you have to do what is intuitively and authentically correct for you. And there will be resistance, you can feel it. There will be fear, you can feel it, you can allow it. In fact, here's an exercise. This one's actually powerful. So thank you, George the Cat, for the super chat, $10. Beautiful story, Zubin. Heart hug from your Vegas friend, Selena. Oh, hi, Selena. Always thinking about our shared friend. Yes, me too. Um, okay, so... You want to quit. <clears throat> you want to tell your toxic boss that you quit. Be, you know, don't even have to give them a reason. I quit. But let's say you want to give them a reason, and now you're afraid of how they're going to respond. 
what happens when you sit right here and allow, you, you, you let the thought occur, this is what I'm going to do. And then feel in the body where the response is. You may feel, let's, I'll just pretend what I'd feel, okay. I feel a rush of energy in the chest that's kind of like, almost like a butterflies, an anxious energy is how I might talk about it if I were putting thought on it, but it's just this energy. Let's call it fear. Now the tendency is to think fear is bad and therefore escape from it by thinking about something else or spinning up other thought scenarios with the boss about how I might reduce this fear. Oh, I'll, I'll tell him this way. I'll tell him that way. I'll tell him this way. Maybe I won't do it. Okay, I'm not gonna do it. You know what? I'll, I'll delay it until next week. Okay, that's one way to avoid what's happening. Now, what happens if you go, oh, this is happening. This is probably fear. The discernment I have says this is fear. Okay, hi, fear. You're welcome here. Come and stay as long as you like and just wrap your virtual arms around this child that's been a part of you since you were very young, this energy of childhood that is there to keep you safe. The fear that a child feels when they're worried, it's there to keep them safe and out of danger. So come here, fear. You have all the space you need. You can be here as long as you want. There's no story associated with you. You're just here. I'm gonna allow this to be here as long as it takes. Maybe it transforms. Maybe it feels like anxiety, maybe it feels like shame, maybe it transforms into a feeling of complete love that this energy even exists and it's all here, right here. Oh no, what was going on? Oh, there was a boss or something? Who cares? It's just this. All right, guys. I love y'all. Um, We'll do this again. I, I had no plan to do this. It just felt right. So hopefully it was okay for y'all. There's still like 170 people here. I can't believe it on a, on a Friday morning. <laughs> All right. Until next time, guys and gals and non-binary pals, we are out. Peace. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, it just really helps the algorithms to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I wanna hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is, financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. 
So, and that, that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.